Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hi, I'm Susan from Safeway. Are you ready for a road trip? You can save on gas by shopping at Safeway. It's easy. Shop at Safeway and earn gas reward points. Then save up to 20 cents per gallon at participating Chevron or Texaco stations or up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations. That's right, up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations just for shopping with us. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Limited to 25 gallons in a single fill of other restrictions and exclusions apply. Visit store or Safeway.com for details. This is Susan from Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Recording live from Jake's Sports and Spirits in the historic Rhino District of Denver, Colorado, it's the Pickaxe Podcast, presented by Denver Stiffs. Now, here is your host, Adam Mates. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Pickaxe Podcast, presented by Denver Stiffs. I am your host, and I'm joined by a special guest today, he covers the D-League in, in full detail for uh, Upside Motor. It's Chris Reichart. Chris, how you doing? Life is good, man. How's it going? It's going great. Did I say your last name right? Reichert? It's, it's Reichert, yeah. Perfect, man. I nailed it. Um, <laughs> we've, been, uh, we've been following each other for quite a long time, and I, I've, I've really enjoyed following you. It's, uh, it's kind of an interesting thing because basketball Twitter, by and large, is a group of people that are obsessed about the NBA. Like, we're the 1% of the 1% of NBA fans and that we're really, really following this stuff closely. But you're special case because not only are you following the NBA like that, but you're following the D-League, which almost nobody follows. Do you feel like you're kind of like uh, uh, a very, very unique, unique case of, of following this league? Yeah, a very small niche of us. I mean, it's really myself, uh, Adam Johnson, who's the editor of D-League Digest, um, and then kind of like some local beat writers when the season starts, you know, for these yeah. D-League teams, and that's and that's really it. I mean, there's not there's not too many other people on basketball Twitter doing it. I mean, Ridiculous Upside, which is part of SB Nation, also covers the D-League. Um, but, you know, it's, it's mainly me and Adam that, that are, like, super in detail on it. I find that so interesting. We'll probably get into a little bit more detail, but you said there's beat beat writers that cover this for like local newspapers and stuff. So like in Austin, there's an Austin beat writer covering the D League. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the same thing in Rio for Rio Grande Valley, which is Houston's D League team. Uh, his name is Dennis Silva. He's really good at covering the team. So they have wow. guys who go out. Usually, like you said, it's usually local newspapers or and or you know their digital their digital form online. Um, but yeah, they have them go out, they go out, cover the games, you know, they interview people, they do game recaps. So you, you can find them. They're just somewhat hard to find because like you said, they're not really part of our full basketball Twitter. Like a lot of them, when the season's not going, they're covering local high school sports or what right. have you. So, um, so they're not solely covering that. So it's, they're kind of difficult to find. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, all right, well, we're going to get into that uh, in more detail here in a second. But first, I uh, want to tell you about our sponsor, Jake Sports and Spirits. We're recording this via Skype today since uh, Chris couldn't fly out from Seattle. But uh, we are record- we, we usually record at Jake Sports and Spirits, tremendous sports bar, uh, great place to watch Broncos games now that it's Broncos season. Uh, 3800 Walnut Street in Denver. They've got a great food selection, great beer list. It's also where we host Stiff's Night Out, which is, it's crazy to say, but Stiff's Night Out is like five or six weeks away. It's not very far before our first Stiff's Night Out. So uh, check out Jake's and, and be on the lookout for, the, for that news for Stiff's Night Out dropping. Um, so first, my first question for you, man, is how did you get into the D-League? Like, What, what drew you to the D-League? Uh, it it kind of is just happenstance, really. I mean, I was I was part of a team that wrote for a site, an independent site called Crab Dribbles, which you may or may not know that Scott Rafferty right. uh, founded. So he he had done it for a long time, and then it had kind of gone dormant. And um, him, myself, and Zach Bennett um, kind of all got it back started again. And then when it did, it was we were covering – hey, what can we cover that everybody else isn't covering? You know, and it kind of just became on myself and Adam Johnson, who I mentioned earlier, to kind of get into the D-League. And I just kind of fell in love with, like, the the storylines of these guys really scratching and clawing, trying to make it to the NBA, and and sometimes not the NBA. You know, they're scratching and clawing, trying right. to make it to international international leagues just as much as the NBA. Um, so, you know, and I, I played small NAI basketball myself, and so I know kind of how it feels to – maybe feel like you belong at a higher level, you know, and, and right. kind of strive to get there and maybe not be happy with where you are and, and always kind of grass is greener kind of feeling. So, um, you know, that kind of, that drew me into it initially. And, and like you mentioned before, there's just not very many people covering it at all. And so I just kind of saw it as a niche to kind of get my name out there as well. And, and, you know, everybody's, there's a lot of people covering the NBA and there's a lot of great people covering the NBA who unfortunately, sometimes go unnoticed because there just is so much coverage of it. Um, so I just kind of felt like it'd be a good way to, for me to get myself out there and, and as well cover these great stories from the coaches to the players to the trainers in the, in this league. And you're underselling it a bit because you cover the league with a lot of passion. I mean, that's one of the things I, I like about following you and just following your work is you can tell that you enjoy following these stories where a lot of guys dismiss the D-League as oh, I'll care about them when they get to the NBA or you know, tell me when that story's relevant. You, you cover these guys with a lot of passion and, and make it interesting. And so I always, I always enjoy following that. Um, where, first of all, where do you watch D-League games? Like, where are they found? Are they streaming online? Yeah, they play them all live on YouTube. So you can catch all of them for free on YouTube, and they archive them. So you can watch them whenever you want, um, which is great for yeah. me because this is a side gig for me. You know, I, I also have a full-time job. So um, for me to be able to watch it, you know, at 1, 2 in the morning and, and watch certain clips, or you know, if I just want to watch a couple quarters of a game and then move on to the next one, I can do that. I don't have to pay for anything to do it right now. Um, so it's great. I mean, it's I can go back watch a game from two years ago right now. You know, as long as I can find it on YouTube. So, Man, that's um, yeah, it's awesome for highlights and and kind of what you know what we do as bloggers and getting these guys' names out there. And it's easy to, it, it maybe not easy, but it's most of us can write about what we're what we're watching. But it's easy to it's better to put highlights to it. You know, so fans can right. see exactly what I'm talking about. If I tell you somebody's an elite shooter. 
you know, because they made 10 three-pointers, you're like, yeah, but it's in the D-League. But if you if I put clips of Brady Heslip hitting contested three-pointer after contested three-pointer, <laughs> that's a little bit different, you know yeah. what I mean? So um, it helps to have that, have it available. So they're all on YouTube right now. And then last year, I believe it was 22 games were on ESPN um, or, or their network, you know, ESPN2, right. ESPN News, that kind of thing, mostly during the showcase um, and the playoffs. So, but But it's still cool to see them getting some time on, on national television. The NBA needs to get better, in my opinion, with with their uh, their streaming app, their League Pass app, because it drives me nuts trying to get clips off of there just because the, like, fast-forward rewind features are so slow and bulky that it, sometimes I'll, you know, when I'm breaking down a film, I'll watch a play, like, ten times if, I'm re- if it's, like, a complex play and I'm trying to get all the action. And sometimes it takes forever just to rewind 30 seconds, wait for 15 seconds, rewind again. It's kind of a – it can be tedious. So I hope they come with some updates. Um, let me see. What, tell me about the rosters in the D-League. Like, most teams have, you know, two, three guys max that are, you know, maybe trying to make the NBA or they're the 15th guy and they get sent down. Maybe there's four, five, six guys – but who else makes up the roster? What, how big are the rosters, and what are what are they usually composed of? Are they guys that are just friends of an affiliates? Are they guys? Is everybody trying to make it to the league? Yeah. So I mean, it's it's there's twelve twelve it's twelve man rosters. There are ten active and two inactive players. Um, the first the first thing that it makes up is draft rights players. So right. players who were drafted previously um, and maybe agreed to go down to the D League for a season or two. Last year it was like Tyler Harvey with the Erie Bayhawks because Orlando got him in the second round, but he didn't go to camp. You know, he had agreed to go to, to Erie for a year. So that's the first the first group of guys. The second group of guys are usually what's called an affiliate player. They're guys who go to the training camp with the NBA club. They don't quite make it. Maybe they have a partial guarantee, twenty-five thousand to seventy-five thousand, and within that guarantee, they're agreeing, at least initially, to go to the D-League team if they don't make the fifteen-man roster. Right. So that, and and each team can do up to four of those if they have an affiliate. So if you don't have an affiliate, you can't send four guys down, obviously, because you don't have anywhere to send them. Um, so Denver would fall in that category right now. But um, that's that. That's the first. That's the big bulk of it. I mean, that's half, and that's usually like the starters, you know, and the main players. And then they have their own draft, which last year was on Halloween. So they'll do their own draft again this year. Um, and then a lot of it is made up of past players because in the D-League, you retain what's called returning rights of your players for two seasons after they play for you. Gotcha. So if a player played in 2014-15, but then they left and went overseas or what have you, and they weren't waived by the team, they just left um, you know, for a better opportunity or they were called up to the NBA or what have you, they own that player's rights if they come back to the D-League for two years. So it's also made up of returning players. Um, and then they have like a like an available player pool, players who don't get drafted, players who have signed with the league but don't get picked up right away. And they're just kind of waiting on a phone call for injuries, what have you, to fill out a roster. So that throughout the season, there's a ton of turnover in the D-League, as you can imagine, because guys leave for the NBA. Right. They leave for, for bigger opportunities overseas. Um, you know, So then when those guys leave, they need – the teams need players to fill their spots or at least fill out the roster so that they can move everybody else up. And the overseas market is pretty lucrative, right? I mean, some of these guys are signing six, seven-year deal or seven-figure deals out to, to play in Russia or Italy or what have you. Um, it's quite a sacrifice to play in the D-League. Oh, yeah. Salary-wise, it's a big sacrifice. So, I mean, you're they're making 
you know, 19 to 26,000 is, is basically the range that they're making. And the reason they're doing that is basically they're betting on themselves to get an NBA deal, or it's players who maybe weren't prevalent enough to earn an, an international deal right away. But the international teams are scouting the D league, perhaps more than the NBA, to be honest. And they're, um, they're, they're seeing these guys that maybe they were questionable about before the season or during the summer so that they can give them a deal, but then they see them compete. They see what they can do and then they sign them, you know, 15, 20 games into the D league season or what have you, um, you know, and it's a big pay bump for these guys. So a, a call up is a huge pay bump for these guys. I think last year, basically a 10 day call up for a rookie was $30,000. So they, Jeez. they basically made their salary in 10 days, you know, from the, from the NBA. So, uh, they're largely betting on themselves, these players, especially the elite ones who can get money overseas, you right. know, but but instead come here. Um, maybe a guy like Elliot Williams last year, you know, who who came again to the D-League and then signed with uh, Panathinaikos, you know, over in Greece um, right. and got a big and got a big payday to go there. And now he's back, you know, in Golden State's camp. So a lot of guys will come. They'll play maybe a month or two if they're the top guys and say, hey, I'll, I'll wait it out. Hopefully I can get a, a call up. And if they don't, then they say, well, I'm going to take, you know, anywhere from 200 to 500 grand to go overseas and, and finish out the season over there. That's nice money. I would I would not mind that as a fallback option at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, not everybody gets that. I mean, so yeah, yeah. But it, but it happens. A lot of these guys they just need that additional exposure. Um, I mean, China's paying big money for these guys. Drell Benjamin, um, I just reported last week, was going to China this season. He used to play for the Idaho team, which is now Salt Lake City, which is Utah's affiliate. He got an eight hundred thousand dollar deal to go play in China, and it's a four four and a half month season. <laughs> Um, so, so it's, there's definitely more money in other places, you know, yeah. other than TV. And, uh, so what are some of the success stories? And I'm talking specifically about NBA success stories, uh, for the D league. I think Birdman, Chris Anderson was the first guy to be called up. Is that, is that, do I have that right? Yeah, you're right. Very first call up. And he came to Denver and, and he's had a really great career, you know, ever since then, obviously with some personal troubles, but he's been on some great teams. I think he's an underrated big man. Who are some other uh, other guys, other success stories from the D League? Uh, I think the first one that comes to mind for me is Tim Frazier. Uh, Tim Frazier yeah. was the was the first ever Rookie of the Year and MVP um, simultaneously, and then he got signed, you know, by the Blazers. Spent the rest of the year there. Now he's with the Pelicans. Uh, another one for me last year was Xavier Munford. Xavier Munford was a guy who went to two different junior colleges, two different uh, D one colleges came to the D league kind of sat for a year behind a guy named Joe Jackson, who you might remember who was a stud at Memphis. Um, Joe Jackson left Munford got his shot last year, really, really played really well and got signed by the Grizzlies. Um, so he's another one who's like, you know, th those kind of stories, you don't really know, the casual fan doesn't know about them until, like you said, until they make the NBA and then it becomes relevant. So um, for me to be able to talk about those things before they happen, you know, is, is really the coolest thing for me. Yeah. Now, tell me about – because when I think of the D-League, one of the things I think about is teams use their uh, their affiliates as kind of an experiment. I know there were some of the teams that were, were trying like an extreme pace and space, three-point shooting and stuff. How do teams use their, their uh, affiliates differently? Does everybody kind of do the same stuff or do some people use it as kind of a lab? Yeah, I think I think you're starting to see where everybody's consistently using it as a traditional minor league team, both for coaches, for players, um, for staff that they want to see improve. Uh, they, they're using it so that they can get their offensive and defensive lingo down there. Um, all the same schemes are basically being run. But then you have a team like 
you know, like you mentioned, Sacramento Kings the last two years, they brought in David, David Arsenault Jr., who was, um, you know, brought in the system from Grinnell College. I don't know if you remember a couple years ago, the kid named Jack Taylor who scored over 100 points for them. Not only do um, I remember Grinnell, we played him. At, I, I went to a small D3 and we played Grinnell, and I hate them, not because they're good. <laughs> I hate them because every single Colorado College record in the record book is uh, from games against Grinnell. So I kind of I kind of hate him for that. <laughs> yeah, the pace the pace is nuts, you know. So um, he didn't bring that exact system because it just can't work in professional basketball. Right. But he but he definitely brought a tweak to it. And um, his first year they they weren't as successful. But the call ups he got call ups. He got guys deals because their numbers looked really really good and they played really well offensive in their offensive system. So um, and then last season he tweaked it even more to make it a bit more of a pro style system and they actually were very successful. So um, you see things like that. Um, but a lot of it right now is, is mirroring um, their NBA club because their the teams just know we're getting closer and closer to 30 and they want to have it streamlined so that if they do call somebody up from their own affiliate, um, that person's ready to contribute right away, you know, because they're only getting usually 10 day deals to start. Right. So you don't want to spend half that 10 day contract teaching somebody your offense, right. you know? So, um, you know, that's, that's another thing they're looking at. I do love the ideas of basketball as, as a laboratory and just basketball as a confluence of art and science, because I just think it's so cool that you have this opportunity. Obviously, like you said, you want to, you want it to mirror your team to some extent, but I just like the idea of like, Let's experiment with this for five, ten games and just see what it, what are the implications of us trying to shoot within the first seven seconds or, or, or you know, just things like that every single possession. And because I just feel like that's such a great experiment to, uh, to make. So in that regard, I find it interesting. And we're going to get to Denver and their need for an affiliate uh, here in a moment. But uh, first, let's take a break because we do, uh, you know, we do get paid on this show by our sponsors. And we have a great one that's been with us for a couple weeks now. Wash Club Denver. Wash Club Denver is a brand new laundry company that offers on-demand pickup and delivery of your laundry. Uh, takes it to their state-of-the-art facility and gets it cleaned. Here's how it works. You just go to washclubdenver.com or you download the Wash Club app. They've got their own app. And you just enter your order. You set your laundry out on your front porch or wherever that they can find it and pick it up. They come to your house, pick it up, wash it. Or if it's dry cleaning, they dry clean it and then return it back to your house all within 24 hours. It's a really, really cool service. Then on top of that, this is a local company. This is a Denver-based company. They're fans of the Denver Nuggets and the Denver Stiffs, and they gave us our own promo code, promo code STIFFS, S-T-I-F-F-S. If you enter in that promo code right there on the app or the website, you get 25% off your order. So, again, that's WatchClubDenver.com or the Watch Club Denver app. All righty, back to Chris here. So the Nuggets have a lot of players right now that are, you know, have been in the D-League, are currently in the D-League, or just have some kind of history, and there's one roster spot open, and all these players vying for it. You did a really cool piece for us, a cool Q&A on DenverStiffs.com last week, talking about these guys, but I want to go into more detail. And let's begin with Jakar Sampson, because he's been with the team for the longest. He did have a stint in the D-League. Uh, who did he play for? He played for the Delaware 87ers, so that's Philly's right. Uh, affiliate. Right. And how, first of all, how long was he playing with Delaware? How many games did he get in roughly? He didn't play there very long, you know, He because he, he was on assignment. So right. you know, the guys that come down on assignment, usually they're going to keep them there for, depending on where they are in their development, you know, maybe 10 games for that season throughout. They'll call, they'll send them down, they'll call them back up. Right. And it's kind of a back and forth thing for a lot of those guys. And, and usually it's to 
who almost to, to go back to what you were talking about before the lab thing where they say, hey, you're not so good at this. Go down here and work on this. Don't just go down here to dominate because we know you can. Right. Go down here, work on, you know, uh, you're shooting off the pick and roll or, you know, pull up jumpers in transition or what have you, you know, whatever they struggle with. And that's that's what you're seeing now before, whereas four or five years ago, they would just send guys down. They'd put up 30 or 40 and then <laughs> yeah. it wasn't really – you know, it wasn't really them developing. It was really them just getting some some live game action. And now you see more intricate, hey, clearly this person is working on this. So they might not look great in the game, um, but it's not really telling of what they're there for. You know, so right. Jakar is a defensive specialist. So almost every time he was down there, it was it was him working on offensive things, him working on catch and shoot. Um, him working on speeding up his release a little bit, uh, things like that. So you can see the little things when you watch the games, and and you can see that Jakar was really focusing on his offense um, when he was down with Delaware. I imagine that's such a hard thing as a player to do, to go down and just kind of not forget all of your other instincts because obviously he's still playing defense and doing all the stuff he's good at, but it's so weird to think of him going down there and just being a gunner on catch and shoots and just constantly looking for catch and shoot opportunities. But that's, and that was kind of my base, my big question with him. That's what you saw from him then. So he wasn't, he wasn't just like posting up and doing stuff like that. He was working on specific skills, primarily shooting. Yeah. And that's what, that's what you see more often than not now. Now and it is it is I'd imagine it is hard as a player. I mean, you you said you played, I played. I think that would be difficult, you know, to to change your mindset on that. And I I think I would almost go into it as um, you know a glorified practice. You know, right. it's just a, a full speed live game practice where this is what I need to work on during this practice, and I'm getting it in a setting that I'm not going to get it in in the NBA because. If you've seen NBA practices, they're nothing close to full speed or live game action. Right. So, um, you know, the, the fact that they have that is is invaluable. You know, the D-League is becoming so much more than just, you know, a place where you can hopefully find a gem or two. It's it's really becoming a place where you can send guys down. You can increase their talent level. And then hopefully they come up later that season or in a, in a season or two and they are able to contribute to your roster. What do you think of Jakar as a player? Do you think he's an NBA-level talent? Is he more of an end-of-bench kind of guy, or do you think he could break into a rotation? I think he could be a rotational guy. I mean, I think he's probably more like 7 to 12-ish, you know, on the roster, and probably more towards like 9 to 12-ish. Um, depending on you know where the roster is and what he can do, I think he's he could be a quality role player on a team because his 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 ability to play both ends really well, you know, offensively is obviously not as far along as it is defensively for him. Um, But he still holds value on the offensive end as a slasher, as a very athletic guy who can get to the rim. Um, You know, I think a lot of, a lot of shooting has become such a key thing now and spacing has become such a key thing that sometimes we dismiss guys just because they can't shoot. Um, you know, as, as not being offensive threats. And I, I don't know that that's fully accurate in every situation, you know, depending on the team and what they run. Yeah. Maybe that a player is more valuable than another in a different organization. But I think Jakar could be, could definitely be a malleable player and, and could, and could be in a rotation somewhere. The more I get into NBA basketball and covering it and just watching all these games, the more I think all these guys are so talented that The reason I hate so few players or even dislike so few is because I think they all have talent. They all have skill. It's just where do they fit in and, and, and what team can kind of make up for their weaknesses and needs their strengths. And so that's why I look at a guy like Jakar Sampson 
and he does have value. He has a lot of skill. He's not. I don't trust his shot at all, mainly because I think it looks gross. It has less to do with the numbers than just like the way it looks. But sure. But um. But yeah, he says he's he's really really tall. He's athletic. He's got uh, you know pretty good instincts on defense. So he's a guy that it'd be weird to say he's not an NBA player because he's just so talented. It's just a matter of where does he fit in. Um, if he doesn't get picked up by Denver, if he's one of the guys cut, and I suspect he will be, um, but uh, what would uh, do you think he'll land immediately on a roster, or do you think he'll float around the D League for a bit? I, I mean, I think it's really going to depend on what other NBA clubs do too. I mean, some of them don't carry 15 on purpose, you know, after training camp because they want open spots for other waivers, right. you know. So other, I'm sure other NBA front offices are looking at Denver and saying, Hey, who do you think they're going to cut? Just like they're looking at every other roster saying, Hey, who do you think they're going to cut? Who do you think they're going to keep? Um, and so maybe one of those teams says, Hey, if they do cut Samson, we'll just snatch him up off waivers. Right. Um, if not, you know, I, I think that he could be a guy who sticks around and does play in the D league just because I think he'll, he's, he's pretty close to being on a roster. So, yeah. I mean, it just depends on what his, you know, comfort level is, you know, he's been in the NBA a couple of years, so he's, if he's smart, he's got some money saved up and, and hopefully he could take that risk, but it's just going to depend, you know, kind of what his feeling is, whether he wants to do that or not, or whether he just wants to get over and play right away in a, in a top international team, which I'm sure he could, you know, depending on yeah. the league. What about, let's move on to Axel Tupan, who, uh, I think a lot of Nuggets fans, he, he grew on a lot of Nuggets fans as the year went on. I remember when he scored his first basket, it was actually maybe the coolest day of the year because when he scored his first basket for the Nuggets on, on his first 10 day, I believe, the entire bench was like up and going crazy for him. Like you could tell they all loved him. And then in the locker room afterwards, it was like the biggest party all for Axel Tupan, which I just found to be the funniest and, and coolest thing. Um, it was maybe the most happy the locker room had been all year, and it was for a 15th guy that was a D-late call-up. But what, what about his game stands out to you? How would you grade his game? I think he came along really well last year. You know, he started kind of slow. Um, he, he played for the Raptors 905, which is, if you can't tell, the Raptors D-League affiliate. <laughs> Worst Thank name you. in the D-League, man. Oh, it's awful. Is the 905 um, a highway? Is that what that is? I have no idea. I think it's the area code. The area I think code? it's their area okay. code there, yeah. So right. I think that's what, what they went off of there. By, but he started the way, slow. I, I, hate, I hate some of these teams that have the same, like the Austin Spurs. Aren't they called the Austrian Spurs? Are they? Yeah, of, they used to be the Toros, which and is they switched cool. it to the Spurs. Yeah, I like the I like the different names. Yeah, yeah. I like it when they go off kilter a little. For sure. Sorry, go yeah. ahead about Axel. No, you're okay. Yeah, no, he started slow, and you know, I was kind of I had heard some things about him from some of the guys that that I talked to from international leagues, um, and and kind of heard, hey, he's going to be pretty impressive, and I was kind of disappointed at first, but I think it was kind of him getting more accustomed to the NBA style, you know, and, and yeah. getting and getting that under his belt. And once he got that under his belt, I mean, he started knocking down corner threes. He was really making plays. Um, you know, he, he's not an, an above average ball handler by any means, but he's long, he's got some length to him. So he played really solid defense, right. um, found himself in passing lanes a lot and really getting some, some really nice blocks in the, at the D league level. Um, so I was really excited when he got a call up, I was kind of surprised they kept him for the full season just because he is still kind of wet behind the ears. Um, but I like Axel, you know, I I like his game and, um, you know, for me, I I know we're going to get to it later, but I think for me, it'd be be between Axel and Nate as the, as one of those two guys who should make that roster. For Axel coming, staying on Denver, I think at the end of the year, they wanted to get another look at another young guy. And then just with injuries, um, I think they were being extra cautious with Gallo. 
Um, Wilson Chandler was gone. They just needed a three. So I think it wasn't too surprising for me that they they brought him on for that final stint because I think it was like a 10-day, and then they just signed him out for the last 15 games or something like that. I don't remember how many total he ended up playing, 21 total. So, um, yeah, like you said, he's 6'7", and he can shoot. He didn't shoot horribly well for the Nuggets, hitting 32.5% um, on the year, but uh, and on like 60-something attempts. But you could tell that he has a good form. Like you said, he started to get more and more comfortable as the season went on. I think he missed like his first seven threes or something in the NBA. It took, <laughs> it took a while. But, um, but once he started hitting, he looked a lot better. And then, like you said, defensively, I'm not sure that he, he's not going to be a lockdown guy, but what do you need a 12, 13, 14th guy on the roster? You need him for like spot shooting, go in for this play, this last minute, we need some spacing. And then if you can hold your own on defense, and I think that's what I would say about him. He holds his own defensively. If he played 25, 30 minutes a night, maybe he would become a liability or you know, maybe he'd be a below-average defender or whatever, but he's never going to really play that, I don't think, for Denver. Um, so I kind of like him. The other thing I think about with Jakar Sampson and Axel Tupan, less than 10 years ago, the Nuggets had Yakuba Diawara playing big minutes for them. And I think of Axel and Jakar as being probably just as good as Yakuba Diawara was. It's kind of funny that how the NBA has come along that now these guys are 15th guys on the roster rather than the 6th, 7th man or even starting um, for the Nuggets. But let's move on to another guy that I'm really interested about, DJ Kennedy. I'll be honest, the only thing I know about him is that he played in that basketball tournament and I watched, <laughs> and I watched one game of the basketball tournament, and he shot it every time. He was really good, but I just uh, I, I hear that's not at all what his game is like in the D League. What was he like as a player? Yeah, I mean he's been he's been out of the D League a couple of years because he's been over you know making money over in Russia and, and doing his thing in international right. leagues. But um, you know he's he's much more of a slasher and attacker. He's not really. He's never really been like an outside sniper by any means, you know, not even not even a guy who really shoots it a lot. I think last year in Russia, he took like 27 threes or something. So, you know, he's he's not really a guy who's going to be doing that. Not to say that he can't, um, but that's not really like his specialist. He's not going to come in and, and be a guy who you say, OK, let's run him off a couple a couple screens or let's run elevator doors for him. You know what I mean? Right. So um, but I think he's attack more of a, a lot. Is he always in attack mode offensively? Yeah, I think I think that's what that's what he likes to do. That's what he did at St. John's when he was in college. That's what he did in the D League, and that's what he's kind of made his namesake as of overseas as well. So he's good at attacking. He's kind of quirky because he's a lefty, um, so he's got a little bit of an advantage there, just because guys are just weird about lefties. So he's he's able to get to the ba- to the basket. Um, but he is. He likes to attack. He likes to put pressure on the defense. And he's not always attacking to score. You know, he's attacking to set up his teammates as well. Right. And I think that's kind of what gets lost sometimes in if you only watch him in like the basketball tournament, you know, something like yeah. that, where his role is to come in there and get buckets. You know, that's yeah. his role for that team. So um, when he plays on his on his team last year over in Russia, he was much more of a playmaker much more of a guy who would drive and maybe get a hockey assist or two every game. Um, so the assist numbers weren't, you know, crazy, but um, he was making plays. So if you watch the games, you can definitely see that he's he's a guy who who makes plays. He makes things happen for his team on the offensive end. Is he a small forward, a shooting guard? What, what's his natural role? I mean, he's like 6'5", so he's he's kind of a tweener because he's not a shooter per se. Yeah. So he's not, you know, he's not Gary Harris 6'5", where he's going to sit out and knock down threes. Right. You know, so he's, but he's not, you know, Jakar Sampson that can't shoot either. So it's, he's kind of a tweener in, in that sense. But I think he's more apt, especially with his, 
his body size as well to play the shooting guard side. I think he would be I think he would get taken advantage of by a lot of small forwards in the NBA. What about defensively? Can he guard threes or is he kind of undersized for like, I mean, how would he do against Carmelo Anthony, for example? That's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I think threes would take advantage of him in the NBA just because he's, he's six, five. So he's not short by any means, but he's not stout either. He's, he's still kind of wiry. So I think he would, you know, you get somebody like Carmelo on on him and it's, I mean, Carmelo is going to do that to a lot of players, but um, you know, he gets him on his back and it's just, it's over for, for, or for DJ Kennedy. So, uh, yeah, I think he's more apt to guard twos, you know, and, and possibly ones. I mean, he's got really good lateral quickness. So I think he's a good perimeter defender for his size. Definitely. My friend, uh, Chad Andrews, who, uh, has called a few D league games based out of here in Denver, but, uh, he, he was a big fan of DJ Kennedy. So I'm gonna have to say apologies to him because just hearing what you say about him, he sounds like a good player. But really doesn't sound like he fits the Nuggets roster because they have a lot of six-five tweeners, uh, you know, twos that have to guard threes and, and vice versa. So I don't know that DJ Kennedy is is going to be the Nuggets guy. But we'll we'll get to who your pick is here in a second. But um, let's go to Darnell Stokes because the Nuggets just signed him to a, a deal that would be guaranteed if he makes the roster. What what type of player is he? A postman power forward? Yeah, yeah. Darnell's a power forward. He he won the MVP last year in the D League. Um, you know, after being after being waived by a couple teams actually in the NBA last year, yeah. so um, he played he played with Sioux Falls. Uh, they had a they had a star set team for the D League. They had guys like DeAndre Liggins, uh, Greg Whittington, who play, who was a Georgetown guy. They had Torrey Murray. Um, they had a really really good team. So um, he was, but he was their their rock in the post. He's got elite footwork, like really good footwork in the post. I mean, that's what really sets him apart from other guys. He's not a guy who's going to play above the rim a ton. He's six, eight, you know, six, nine ish. So he's, he's a little bit, I guess what you'd call undersized, but he's got good quickness so he can guard power forwards out on the, out on the perimeter. He, he, he might have a little bit of trouble with some of these stretch fours out on the perimeter. Um, just, just because that would be kind of the area that I would worry about for him, but he's a big guy. So he has no problem guarding people down on the post. He's not a guy that's going to block a lot of shots. Um, but he's, but he's adept, you know, down in the post, he can, he can hold his own down there. He started in showing a little bit of a mid range jump shot out to about 12 to 15 feet as the season went on as well, which is what he'll need as an undersized power forward. Um, so I, I love, I love Jarnell and he's just a great guy. You know, he's got a, he's a really smart guy. Basketball IQ is there. Um, you know, a lot of these guys, the, the talent level is not necessarily the problem. It's off the court things. It's they can't pick up a defensive or offensive scheme as well as somebody else. You know, it's the little things that keep them from from one of those limited NBA spots. And Jarnell's not really missing any of those things. So Jarnell's a very complete player, and he's still only 22 years old. So he's younger than all these other guys as well. I think the problem for him in Denver is going to be that they have a lot of young bigs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, between Nurkic and uh, you know, and and Jokic and yeah. uh, Farid. I mean, they they just are laden with talent that position so i think that might be a a trouble for him in in terms of denver one of the things the second unit i think might struggle with this year is scoring um last year when dj augustine came in that that second unit scored a lot will barton kind of scored a lot early in the season for the second unit but they might lack a few go-to guys as a second unit it sounds like he's kind of a guy that you can initiate the offense through you you begin with a post up and then the action kind of spirals off of that is that is would you agree with that yeah and he's he's good he's definitely good at getting the ball out of his hands when he doesn't have 
you know, the, the position that he needs or when he doesn't have the advantage that he thinks he needs. He's not a guy, even in the D-League, who was like a black hole. A lot of these guys who know they're better than everybody else, especially the post players because it is such a guard-heavy league. Yeah. Um, when you get somebody in the post who can just dominate, they don't want to pass at all. And Jarnell wasn't that way. You know, Jarnell was always cool. finding open guys. So, you know, like I said, he's got a good head on his shoulders. I think he really knows what he needs to do to be in the NBA. It's just a matter of him getting that opportunity. So I hope I hope he can he can do well for Denver. I just I don't know if the fit is perfect in Denver. Let's move on to your favorite guy and the guy that was your pick to make the roster. And that's Nate Walters point guard. Uh, What can you tell me about him? What's his game like? I love Nate Walters, man. He's like 6'4", 6'5", so he's got good size for a point guard. Yeah. Um, you know, can shoot it a little bit. He's not he's not a knockdown shooter, but you can't leave him open either. Um, much better off the catch than he is off the dribble shooting the the three. Um, but he can shoot he can shoot the mid range better, you know, off the dribble. So him playing off the pick and roll, he can do that really well. Right. Um, he he played a couple years ago with Grand Rapids, which is Detroit's affiliate, and um, did really well with a guy like Henry Sims. You does, know, playing does, does Detroit's D League team do they play that 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 one five pick and roll as well with three shooters? Do they kind of run the same system as the, the Pistons? They do, yeah, they do, and they did a lot last year, more more so last year than the year before. And Nate didn't play last year, um, you know. So they had, I think, they had Ryan Boatwright running the point for a while, and then Lorenzo Brown last year. So they had two two talented point guards last year as well. But um, Nate spent his time overseas last year. He's he's kind of a guy. I would say he's quick, but he's not explosive, you know. So yeah. if he if he gets if he gets a guy on his hip, then then he can create some havoc. Um, getting the guy on his hip is a little bit of a, tr- a little bit of a problem for him, gotcha. but you know, get him in that pick and roll and he can do that because he's got the ability to pull up for the mid range jumper or go and finish at the rim or go and find somebody if he gets another guy to come on the help defense. So I think he's another guy who's just really smart. He's got quality size at the point guard position. Um, and he's a pest on defense too, you know, so, and he can slide over and guard shooting guards because of his size. So I think that's another benefit of, of having Nate on the roster. Why do you think he hasn't landed on a roster? I mean, why why did he go to Europe last year rather than landing in the NBA? Do you think? Yeah, I think it's. I think some of these guys, unfortunately, it's just like like we talked about earlier, just getting the right team that's willing to to work with you on what your inefficiencies are, you know, and, and give you that chance to kind of get molded into their into their system, you know. So he's had a couple cups of coffee with some teams, um, just didn't kind of didn't last, you know, and so. I think it's just a matter of fit for him. And I think Denver being, you know, wanting to push the pace and be an up and down kind of team is really a good fit for him. Um, And he's got a lot of guys he can, he's with dangerous shooters around him, you know, and guys who are perhaps streaky like Wilson Chandler, you know, guys like that, but you get Gallo out there, you know, healthy and he's going to knock down those shots every all day. So um, by the way, I love Wilson Chandler just as a side note, man. Wilson Chandler is like one of my top five favorite NBA players. I can't tell you why. I just it, <laughs> I just love Wilson Chandler. <laughs> we're, so, we're a big fan of his as well. And and you know what? Yeah. He's a fan of the, the site, which is really cool. He might even – who knows? He might even be checking out the podcast. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the one thing I'd say about Walters is, you know, Jameer Nelson was here to be a steadying force at point guard. And I think early in the season he was that. If they were to bring in another point guard, I don't think I don't think he would be happy. I don't think he wants to share the backup role with another guy. Um, and I don't know that they would bring Walters in to not play unless there's an injury. But uh, so maybe this is a, a type of thing where they would sign him, you know, in December if somebody went down, Moutier or, or Jameer went down. But 
I think if they were to bring him in and Jameer was unhappy and left, you'd have a situation where you basically have two, if not rookie or second-year point guards, just guys without a ton of NBA experience. And I think that could be kind of dangerous for Denver, um, you know, to be relying on two really, really young guys at the point guard spot. Um, yeah. But let's get let's get your thoughts then. I want you to handicap or just kind of give me in order who you would take on the Nuggets roster. Obviously, Nate Walters was your guy. Um, and I think that I actually do think as much as I'm, I'm pointing out why that might not work, I think it is a good fit because, um, the Nuggets could use that a little bit of depth and that allows them to free up and explore trade possibilities for Jameer. Um, but at, behind Nate Walters, who would be your pick for the Nuggets to, to take? I think it'd be Axel next. And then kind of a two, a two B scenario I'd have Jarnell, you know, right behind Axel. And then I'd have, probably have Jakar as the, as the fourth one in, in that group. Gotcha. I think I'm exactly right there with you, except for I would probably switch Axel and Walters. I just like uh, Axel's height. If you talk about depth and injuries, the three position is the spot where I think the Nuggets are the most vulnerable because they have Gallo and Chandler, two guys that have had you know, a lot of injury uh, histories, and, and there's a really good chance that those guys are going to play less than 70 games this year. So that Axel would provide depth. And then I kind of just feel like Axel's a guy that could make a leap. When I look at the guys I'm at least familiar with, uh, you know, I think Axel's a guy that I could see being a lot better in March than he is right now. Just more comfortable shooting 37% from three and actually playing five to ten minutes. So he would be probably my number one pick with, with Walters behind him. Yeah, no, I think that's I think it's right on as well. I, mean, I, I don't think they can really go wrong with one of those with any of those guys. I mean, as much as we might have Jakar last, like we said, he's definitely still an NBA talent, you know, and an NBA player. I just worry about his shooting um, prowess, even though, you know, I think he does have value. I think that Denver needs that spacing with who they have, you know, and, and they have more traditional post guys as well. So I think they kind of need that spacing with, with a guy who can knock it down at that three position, if that's what they're going to keep. But um, yeah, I mean, you know more than me, man. So <laughs> I, I think, I think you're right on there. Axel could, could definitely fit in. I actually like some, some roster ideas too, with putting like Axel Wilson Chandler and Gallo all out there together. Cause they're all six, seven, six, eight, six, 10, it just all can shoot and space the floor. I just think it could be kind of fun to experiment with lineups like that. But let's uh, – my last question for you, man, and this is probably the most interesting one of the whole t- the whole conversation is the Nuggets are one of four teams that do not have a D-League. Is that right? It's only – it's down to just four? No, there's eight. There's still oh, eight. eight left. Okay. Yep, because so there's, there's 22, 22 teams that are that will have their – there's 22 D-League teams, and they're all affiliated this year. So if the Nuggets want to send somebody down to the D-League this year, where do they go and what's that process like? So it's they use what's called the flex assignment rule, and basically what happens is they will send a, basically they'll say, hey, this player Malik Beasley or you know yeah. Juan Hernan Gomez is available, um, and one of the teams basically agrees to take them on. One of the one of the D League teams will say, hey, I'll you know I'll come out and take it. I'll, I'll we'll take that player. Um, if multiple teams do that, then ultimately Denver gets to choose where they go. So if Austin. Uh, you know, Northern Arizona and Erie all come out and say, hey, yeah, we'll take Malik Beasley for a couple games. Um, You know, ultimately it's Denver's choice where they send him. Why would a team accept a player? They want to win. You know, they're just like, (laughs) they're just like the other teams. They, they want to win, man. And maybe they don't have uh, as many affiliate players that came down. Maybe their talent is a little bit dry or maybe they say, hey, we're going to play a couple tough teams. Right. Or maybe, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why. They, sometimes it's 
you know, they have some kind of previous connection with them. Um, you saw a lot of times Atlanta would send players to Austin, and that's because Budenholzer came from, uh, you know, right. Popovich's kind of kind of club there. So you get those things that come into play as well, where past relationships, they say, hey, yeah, we'll, we'll do you a favor. We'll take on, you know, Eddie Tavares and Lamar Patterson for a couple games. It'll help our team. And also, you know, we're giving we're doing a favor for you guys. It kind of stings for the players who are already there. Yeah. Uh, league anyways, because it takes away from their minutes. Um, so it's it's tough. And you got to as an NBA club, you got to make sure you pick the best place, too, because just because they want them to come play doesn't mean they're going to play them 30 minutes you know, a night. They, Damian Ingles or Inglis was, you know, a Bucks assignee. He went to, I believe, Canton last year and played like, you know, 15, 17 minutes a game in his games there. Then he went to Westchester on, a, on his next assignment and they played him, you know, 25 to 32 minutes a game. So it just depends. You know, it, it really it hurts those teams not having their own affiliate, obviously, Um because you just don't know how much those teams are going to play you. They're playing in a different system. Well, let's talk about season. that because the Nuggets this year, I mean, in years past, I think they've had guys on the roster that, you know, it definitely would have helped. There's guys they could have set down for, you know, a handful of games just to kind of get back in shape or, or whatever. But this year they have a lot of guys that seem to be D-League candidates. Malik Beasley is third, fourth, fifth on the depth chart, you know, just at that, like, shooting guard slash small forward position. Juancho Hernan Gomez, who I really, really like as a player, is at least early in the season going to be third on the depth chart, maybe fourth on the depth chart at power forward if you consider Gallo playing power forward minutes. That's two guys right there that I think could really, really use some D-League minutes this year. How bad are the? How badly do the Nuggets need their own affiliate, especially in a year like this? If you could just magically have a D-League all of a sudden, a D-League team, how, how, how much would that help the Nuggets? I think it would help them a lot this year. I mean, it, we've we've mentioned a little bit in the past, but the the live game action, there's really no substitute for it. I mean, these you know what they can do because that's why you drafted them. You know, you drafted them because they have potential. Uh, you drafted them because you can see what they're going to be able to do in one to two years, maybe a little bit longer for some draftees. Um, but they still have deficiencies. They still have areas they need to improve. They're not finished products. So the ability to send send them to you know a nearby city you know in Colorado and say hey you know work with our coaches work with you know everything you're going to be doing is the same thing you're going to be doing with the nuggets when you get your opportunity you know that's an invaluable thing to have you know and and I think the teams that have it right now are at an advantage you know to the teams that don't um and and some teams like Portland for instance will say hey we're perfectly fine um, with our personal development that we have here in Portland. We don't necessarily need right. a D-League team. You know, Neil Olshey's been pretty, you know, open about not necessarily needing a D-League team. And, and it's hard to argue when some of the, their younger players like Alan Crabb and CJ McCollum have really developed quite well. Um, so it's not the end-all, be-all. You know, it's not, hey, these players are going to stink because they don't have a D-League team. But it would certainly help, you know, for them, especially in their rookie year, um, to get some some live game action. Yeah, for sure. This is a year in particular. I just feel like the Nuggets could – and it's funny because in years past, I don't think I would be horribly interested in the D-League. I would check the box score of the Nuggets D-League and you know kind of keep up on news and notes. But this is a year if Malik Beasley was and Juancho Hernan Gomez were starting for the Nuggets D-League, I would probably watch either all or most of the D-League games just because I want to see those guys play. I'm so excited, especially coming off of Summer League and, and the draft where, where interest is so high. I really want to check those guys out. So I'm kind of bummed that I probably won't get a great chance to unless they get down, get set down to an affiliate. And as you said, then you're kind of at the mercy of 
of the inner workings of that affiliate and the roster space and what have you. Um, yeah, and I, I can't remember either of the last two seasons, at least Denver using that flex assignment rule and it's been in place both, both years. So I don't know that they really want to, you know, send somebody down without that kind of control over what's going on. I can't remember if, if Eric Green went down. I think he might have gone down in his rookie season when he was still with the team, but I can't remember. I know he went down afterwards after he was released and, and really lit it up for a bit there. Um, what about international players? Because the Nuggets have Nikola Radicevic. They have Peter Cornelie. Uh, with those guys, how, how does it work for those guys coming over you know, being that they are on teams right now in Europe, are they just completely ruled out for the season? Do some guys come over in like February? Yeah, they can come over really whenever. I mean, um, so those are draft rights players that Denver has. Yeah. Yeah. So last year, Thomas Lob Zubcic, right. um, who was owned by Oklahoma City, came over, you know, and he, I think he came over in either December or January, you know, and played out the rest of the season with Oklahoma City. Um, you know, so, so guys can come over really whenever they want. And the, the benefit is if they had their own affiliate, they would go directly to that affiliate. There would be no waiver, you know, scenario or anything like that. As it stands now, if one of those players wanted to come over and they came over in January, let's say they would sign with the D league. Um, you sign directly with the league and then you, you would go into what's called a waiver for 48 hours and there's a waiver order. You know, and, and we won't know it until the season actually starts and, and things get moving. Um, and those teams basically have a, the first dibs to get any new players who sign with the D-League. Um, so, th- again, Denver would really have no control over where they went unless they – so what, what some teams will do is they'll find out who's at the top of the waiver order. Yeah. Contact those teams and say, hey, if this guy signs, will you pick him up? You know, and, and that happens all the time. So they can kind of know at least who's going to take him and kind of see, you know, how that's going to work out. But it's, it's again, it's hit or miss when you don't have your own affiliate. Gotcha. Well, Chris, man, I really enjoyed talking to you, man. Uh, you guys check him out, Chris underscore Reichert on Twitter. Really good follow. He does great work at Upside and Motor. Uh, and then, like I said, he covers the D-League not only with a good eye for, for talent, what's going on, but also with passion, which I think just makes it so much fun, more fun. Last thing I'm going to ask you is uh, I try to I, I do this thing where I try to get everybody to give me a top five uh, kind of random stuff. And for you, the top five is favorite players that hail from and or played in the Pacific Northwest. So they could have played, you know, basketball for the Sonics or what have you or a college out there, D-League, or they could just be from that area. Uh, where are you from, by the way? Are you from Seattle? I live down in Olympia, so I live in the capital, which is about 30 minutes south of Seattle. Gotcha. Um, I'm from – originally, I'm from Nebraska. My parents were both in the military, so we've lived everywhere. But they retired here, and so I've lived here longer than anywhere else than I've lived in my life. So when people ask me where I'm from, I tell them I'm from Washington State. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, and you know, the Pacific Northwest is kind of a hotbed for basketball talent. I think it's like an underrated area. Chicago maybe be the best – hotbed just for nba guys but there's a lot of good basketball players coming out of the pacific northwest um, oh the high school the high school basketball appears great man the high school basketball up in the heart of seattle is i mean i've never lived anywhere else where it's better but i'm sure there are places that would argue chicago new york city and the seattle you know, pro-am like too is like a, one of the bigger bigger pro-ams isn't it Oh, yeah, them and the Drew League. I mean, those are probably the two biggest ones. You know, the Drew is super popular because guys like James Harden and other guys from L.A. play there. But Seattle's Seattle's getting up there, too, with Crawford bringing in all these big names. And, 
guys like Isaiah Thomas always coming back to play and Spencer Hawes and, you know, those kind of guys always come back. So the program's great, man. I mean, all, all the guys that I picked for my top five actually played high school here. Nice. Um, so, so I stuck with those, but they should all be names that people know. Uh, maybe one that they don't. Let's, so let's do it. Yeah. My favorite player that I've ever watched in this area, his name is Trey Simmons. Uh, he played at Garfield high school and then he went to University of Washington and he's won like six or seven international titles, you know, playing international with hoops. Just to shoot. He's played with like different teams every year. So he's always, <laughs> nice. he's always switching, you know, they're on one year contracts pretty much over there. So he's always switching. Uh, he was a guy who played when like Will Conroy and Brandon Roy and Nate Robinson were the guys at UW when yeah. they were good. Yeah. Um, and he he was just a shooter, man, and I just I love. He always comes back and plays in the program. I've interviewed him a couple times. He's just a super nice guy, and you know I'm I was a shooter, so I'm partial to shooters. Um, so that that's my favorite player from the area. My second favorite player is Jamal Crawford. Jamal Crawford's just such a good guy. Uh, you know he takes a lot of heat in the NBA because he's inefficient, things like that. People hate on him for winning Sixth Man of the Year, but you're not going to find a nicer, you know, more kind-hearted person than Jamal Crawford. That's cool. Um, and he is yeah, fun to watch. I'll bet he's a really fun – I mean, we always see the highlights of him at the D-League putting up 50. I'll bet that's like – that's a, it's a probably even more fun watching him in the in those than he than in the NBA. Oh, he's unreal at the Pro-Am, man. He's unreal. I mean, and people – and you know, he just – after the game, he'll score 50 and he'll stay and sit and sign autographs for kids for hours. Just you know, loves the game, loves people. Yeah, that's cool. None. The kids come for free. It's 18 and under is free at the Pro-Am. So, I mean, it's it's just a real cool thing that they do here. Uh, Brandon Roy, Brandon Roy also went to Garfield high school. Um, you know, terribly, you know, shortened career, but, uh, Brandon Roy was freaking amazing. I actually, Um, I played against him twice in, in high school. He played on a team called Washington team. Yes. And they would, they would travel to some of the different tournaments. And I remember, I think my sophomore year, he was like a good athlete, not great player. I think we actually beat his team. And then the following year, he was like the stud top 10 recruit, that uh you know everybody in the gym was like you know college scouts and stuff so he was a he's one of the more high profile guys i've ever got to go up against yeah he's a, he's a weird case because he was a lot of guys were saying hey he's gonna go to the high, to the nba right out of high school then he tore his acl you know and then he ended up at university of washington for four years you know so he ended up being <laughs> a guy who was gonna go straight to the nba to a guy who stayed all four years and and really kind of helped cement his legacy in this area. I mean, people still, I mean, hail Brandon Roy as, as a great, great player. And he's actually coaching up in Seattle now at a, at a high school named Nathan Hale High School. He's coaching the top recruit for next year's class, Michael Porter Jr. Oh, sweet. Um, yeah, who's going, to, who's going to Washington. So the last two on my list would be Dan Dickow. Um, Dan Dickow went to Prairie, which is like a middle of nowhere high school here, and then to UW, and then transferred to Gonzaga, where he, you know, led them you know a lot of wins and just yeah. exciting brand of basketball um and then the last one on my list would be john stockton john stockton's from spokane he played at gonzaga you know right. a long time ago um you know like when i was i want to say 20 i got the chance to play with john stockton and his brother over at gonzaga um i knew a, a guy who played for gonzaga named Derek ravio who was their point guard for a while and so i got to go over there and play with him and john was just like such a nice guy 
um, such a cool guy and still just a fiery competitor got upset a couple of times when their team lost at open gym. And, uh, so those are, that would be my top five. No, no love for the big man. You got all guards in there, but, but I'm it's a, a shooter, great, man. That's yeah. me. I'm a shooter, man. I got to, I shoot I your shot, to man. Yeah, shoot your shot, Chris. Hey, <laughs> hey man, I really appreciate you coming on. This was really good info. Uh, again, be sure to follow him at Chris Reichart. Check out his work at upside motor. Uh, Chris, thanks a bunch. Appreciate you, man. All right, we'll see everybody next week. Thanks for listening to the Pickaxe Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com. Hi, I'm Susan from Safeway. Are you ready for a road trip? You can save on gas by shopping at Safeway. It's easy. Shop at Safeway and earn gas reward points. Then save up to 20 cents per gallon at participating Chevron or Texaco stations or up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations. That's right, up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations just for shopping with us. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Limited to 25 gallons in a single fill-up. Other restrictions and exclusions apply. Visit store or Safeway.com for details. This is Susan from Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions.